second journey part nine of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain second journey part nine i had much ado to have all the stones drawn out of the passage which was filled up to the entrance of the chamber it took the remainder of this day and part of the next to clear it and at last we reached a portcullis at first sight it appeared to be a fixed block of stone which stared me in the face and said ne plus ultra putting an end to all my projects as i thought for it made a close joint with the groove at each side and on the top it seemed as firm as those which formed the passage itself on a close inspection however i perceived that at the bottom it was raised about eight inches from the lower part of the groove which is cut beneath to receive it and i found by this circumstance that the large block before me was no more than a portcullis of granite one foot three inches thick having observed a small aperture at the upper part of the portcullis i thrust a long piece of barley straw into it and it entered upwards of three feet which convinced me that there was a vacuum ready to receive the portcullis the raising of it was a work of no small consideration the passage is only four feet high and three feet six inches wide when two men are in it abreast of each other they cannot move and it required several men to raise a piece of granite not less than six feet high five feet wide and one foot three inches thick the levers could not be very long and otherwise there was not space in the four feet height to work with them and if they were short i could not employ men enough to raise the portcullis the only method to be taken was to raise it a little at a time and by putting some stones in the grooves on each side to support the portcullis while changing the fulcrum of the levers it was raised high enough for a man to pass an arab then entered with a candle and returned saying that the place within was very fine i continued to raise the portcullis and at last made the entrance large enough to squeeze myself in and after thirty days exertion i had the pleasure of finding myself in the way to the central chamber of one of the two great pyramids of egypt which have long been the admiration of beholders the chevalier frediani followed me and after passing under the portcullis we entered a passage not higher or wider than the first it is twenty-two feet seven inches long and the works including the portcullis occupy six feet eleven inches in all where the granite work finishes at the end of this passage there is a perpendicular shaft of fifteen feet and at each side of the passage an excavation in the solid rock one of which on the right as you enter runs thirty feet in an upward direction approaching the end of the lower part of the forced passage as will be seen in place nine and ten before us we had a long passage running in a horizontal direction toward the centre we descended the shaft by means of a rope at the bottom of it i perceived another passage running downward at the same angle of twenty-six degrees as that above and toward the north as my first object was the centre of the pyramid i advanced that way and ascended an inclined passage which brought me to a horizontal one that led toward the centre i observed that after we entered within the portcullis the passages were all cut out of solid rock the passage leading toward the centre is five feet eleven inches high and three feet six inches wide 
as we advanced farther on we found the sides of this passage covered with arborizations of nitre some projecting in ropes some not unlike the skin of a white lamb and others so long as to resemble an endive leaf i reached the door at the centre of a large chamber see plate twelve i walked slowly two or three paces and then stood still to contemplate the place where i was whatever it might be i certainly considered myself at the centre of that pyramid which from time to time immemorial had been the subject of the obscure conjectures of many hundred travellers both ancient and modern my torch formed of a few wax candles gave but a faint light i could however clearly distinguish the principal objects i naturally turned my eyes to the west end of the chamber looking for the sarcophagus which i strongly expected to see in the same situation as that in the first pyramid but i was disappointed when i saw nothing there the chamber has a painted ceiling and many of the stones had been removed from their places evidently by some one in search of treasure on my advancing toward the west end i was agreeably surprised to find that there was a sarcophagus buried on a level with the floor by this time the chevalier frediani had entered also and we took a general survey of the chamber which i found to be forty-six feet three inches long sixteen feet three inches wide and twenty-three feet six inches high it is cut out of the solid rock from the floor to the roof which is composed of large blocks of calcareous stone meeting in the centre and forming a roof of the same slope as the pyramid itself the sarcophagus is eight feet long three feet six inches wide and two feet three inches deep on the inside it is surrounded by large blocks of granite apparently to prevent its removal which could not be effected without great labour the lid had been broken at the side so that the sarcophagus was half open it is of the finest granite but like the other in the first pyramid there is not one hieroglyphic on it looking at the inside i perceived a great quantity of earth and stones but did not observe the bones among the rubbish till the next day as my attention was principally bent in search of some inscription that would throw light on the subject of this pyramid we examined every part of the walls and observed many scrawls executed with charcoal but in unknown characters and nearly imperceptible they rubbed off into dust at the slightest touch and on the wall at the west end of the chamber i perceived an inscription in arabic as follows readers note here follows two lines of arabic End note and the various interpretations given of it compel me to explain some points which will perhaps lead to a satisfactory explanation it appears to me that all the difficulty lies in the last letters of the inscription which are supposed to be obscure this indeed is the fact but i must say that these letters were so blotted on the wall that they were scarcely visible the transcriber was a copt whom i had brought from cairo for the purpose as i would not trust to my own pen and not being satisfied of his protestations of accuracy though it was copied under my own eyes i invited many other persons who were considered as the best skilled in the arabic language of any in cairo and requested them to compare the copy with the original on the wall they found it perfectly correct except the concluding word which indeed appeared obscure 
but if it be considered how much that word resembles the right one we shall find a correct sense and the whole inscription made out translation of the inscription by mr salam the master mohammed ahmed lapiside has opened them and the master otman attended this opening and the king alij mohammed at first from the beginning to the closing up i must add that the circumstance of the pyramid having been again closed up agrees with what i have said of my finding it so on several parts of the wall the nitra had formed many beautiful arborizations like those in the passage but much larger and stronger some were six inches long resembling in shape a large endive leaf as i mentioned before under one of the blocks that had been removed i found something like the thick part of a hatchet but so rusty that it had lost its shape at the north and south sides were two holes which run in an horizontal direction like those that are seen in the first pyramid but higher up returning out of this chamber we reached the passage below at the bottom of the perpendicular shaft were so many stones as nearly to choke up its entrance and after removing these we found the passage running to the north at the same inclination as above an angle of twenty-six degrees as is to be seen in plate ten this passage is forty-eight feet six inches in length when it joins an horizontal passage of fifty-five feet still running north halfway up this passage on the right is a recess eleven feet long and six feet deep on the left opposite to it is another passage running twenty-two feet with a descent of twenty-six degrees towards the west before we proceeded any farther toward the north we descended this passage and entered a chamber thirty-two feet long nine feet nine inches wide and eight feet six inches high this chamber contains many small blocks of stone some not more than two feet in length it has a pointed roof like that before mentioned though it is cut out of the solid rock for it is to be understood as i before observed that after we entered through the portcullis all the passages and the large chamber as high as the roof are cut out of the solid rock of calcareous stone on the walls and roof of this chamber are several unknown inscriptions as there are in the upper chamber they are perhaps coptic reascending into the horizontal passage at the end of it we found grooves for a portcullis like the former but the stone of granite which served for this purpose had been taken down and is to be seen under the rubbish and stones near the place passing the portcullis we entered into a passage which ascended in a direction parallel with that above as in plate ten this passage runs up forty-seven feet six inches here we found a large block of stone placed there from the upper part and by calculation i found that this passage ran out of the pyramid at its basis as from the upper part of this square block i could perceive other stones which filled up the passage to the entrance so that this pyramid has two entrances to it halfway up the horizontal passage which leads into the large chamber is some mason's work but i believe it to be only the filling up of a natural cavity in the rock 
having made all my observations we came out of the pyramid with no small degree of satisfaction and i was highly gratified with the result of my labor of very little more than a month the expense of which did not amount in all to a hundred and fifty pounds though i had accomplished a task which was supposed would have required several thousands the chevalier frediani went to cairo the same day and the news of the opening of the pyramid soon brought the franks to visit its interior as i had no fear that the arabian women would break the pyramid i left the entrance open pro bono publico and in that place where the perpendicular descent just inside the portcullis is i made a stone step for the accommodation of visitors leaving half of the passage to enter into the lower chamber a young man of the name of pierre employed in the counting-house of briggs and walmus in cairo came the next day to visit the pyramid and having rummaged the rubbish inside of the sarcophagus found a piece of bone which we supposed to belong to a human skeleton on searching farther we found several pieces which having been sent to london proved to be the bones of a bull some consequential persons however who would not scruple to sacrifice a point in history rather than lose a bon mot thought themselves mighty clever in baptizing the said bones those of a cow merely to raise a joke so much for their taste for antiquity it has been stated also that it might be supposed these large sarcophagi were made to contain the bones of bulls as the sarcophagus which we found in the tombs of the kings at thebes was of enormous size and more fit for a bull than a human body i cannot agree in this opinion however for if the person who made the observation had an opportunity of seeing and examining the cases and sarcophagi in which the egyptians were buried he would find that the better classes of people had cases within cases some nearly double the size requisite to contain one person and it is natural therefore to suppose that the kings of egypt had more cases than one or two consequently the sarcophagus which was the outer case must have been much larger than the rest to contain them all outside of the pyramid i observed the rocks surrounding it on the north and west sides to be on a level with the upper part of the chamber and as the rock is evidently cut all round it appeared to me that the stones taken from it must have been applied to the erection of the pyramid accordingly i am of opinion that the stones which seem to form these enormous edifices were not all taken from the east side of the nile as is supposed and mentioned by ancient writers i cannot conceive why the egyptians should be thought so simple as to fetch stones at seven or eight miles distance and across the nile when they could have them from much nearer points indeed from the very spot where the pyramids stand it is evident that stones of an enormous size have been cut out of the very rocks around the pyramids and for what purpose were these stones extracted it might as well be asserted that they were cut to build old babylon of egypt or to fill up the vacancies in the quarries of the mokatam if any traveller will go within less than half a mile of the pyramids particularly on the east and south sides he may see many places where the rock has been formerly quarried to a great length and he will find that there is stone enough to build many other pyramids if required it is true that herodotus says the stones to erect the pyramids were brought from quarries on the other side of the nile 
but i firmly believe he was misinformed on this subject unless what he asserts is to be understood of the granite alone and as to the causeways in front of the pyramids said to have been made to convey the stones for the erection of these masses i believe they were intended for the accommodation of visitors particularly at the time of high nile for if they were only to convey stones the labour of making them must have been nearly equal to the erection of the pyramids so much has been already said about the pyramids that very little is left to observe respecting them their great appearance of antiquity certainly leads us to suppose that they must have been constructed at an earlier period than any other edifices to be seen in egypt it is somewhat singular that homer does not mention them but this is no proof that they did not exist in his time on the contrary it may be supposed they were so generally known that he thought it useless to speak of them it appears that in the time of herodotus as little was known of the second pyramid as before the late opening with the exception that in his time the second pyramid was nearly in the state in which it was left when closed by the builders who must have covered the entrance with the coating so that it might not be perceived but at the time i was fortunate enough to find my way into it the entrance was concealed by the rubbish of the coating which must have been nearly perfect at the time of herodotus notwithstanding this we were as much in the dark in this present age as he was in his we know however now that it has been opened by some of the rulers or chiefs of egypt a fact that affords no small satisfaction to the inquirer on the subject of these monuments some persons who would rather let this circumstance remain in obscurity regretted that i should have found the inscription on the wall which proved it to have been opened at so late a period as very little more than a thousand years ago but i beg them to recollect that the present opening has not only made known this very interesting circumstance but has thrown much light on the manner in which these enormous masses were erected as well as explained the occasion of them the circumstance of having chambers and a sarcophagus which undoubtedly contained the remains of some great personage so uniform with those in the other pyramid i think leaves very little question but that they were erected as sepulchres and i really wonder that any doubt has ever existed considering what could be learned from the first pyramid which has been so long open this contains a spacious chamber with a sarcophagus the passages are of such dimensions as to admit nothing larger than the sarcophagus they had been closely shut up by large blocks of granite from within evidently to prevent the removal of that relic ancient authors are pretty well agreed in asserting that these monuments were erected to contain the remains of two brothers cheops and sephron kings of egypt they are surrounded by other smaller pyramids intermixed with mausoleums on burial grounds many mummy pits have been continually found there yet with all these proofs it has been asserted that they were erected for many other purposes than the true one and nearly as absurd as that they served for granaries some consider them as built for astronomical purposes but there is nothing in their construction to favour this supposition others maintain that they were meant for the performance of holy ceremonies by the egyptian priests anything in short for the sake of contradiction or to have something new to say finds its advocate 
if the ancient authors had advanced that they were erected for treasuries the moderns would have agreed perhaps more in conformity with the truth that they were made for sepulchres and they would not have failed to see plainly those circumstances which clearly prove the facts and which are not noticed as they ought to be i will agree with others thus far that the egyptians in erecting these enormous masses did not fail to make their sides due north and south and consequently as they are square due east and west their inclination too is such as to give light to the north side at the time of the solstice but even all this does not prove in the least that they were erected for astronomical purposes though it is to be observed that the egyptians connected astronomy with their religious ceremonies as we found various zodiacs not only among the temples but in their tombs also by the measurement i took of the second pyramid i found it to be as follows the basis six hundred and eighty four feet apotomy or central line down the front from the top to the basis five hundred and sixty eight feet perpendicular four hundred and fifty six feet coating from the top to the place where it ends a hundred and forty feet the circumstance of not finding hieroglyphics in or out of it makes it appear that they were erected before this mode of writing was invented for strange as it may seem not a single hieroglyphic is found in all these enormous masses yet i must beg leave to remark a circumstance which perhaps will lead to the conjecture that it might not have been the custom of the egyptians in that part of the country who might perhaps be even of a different religion from their countrymen to put hieroglyphics on their monuments for there are many mausoleums round the pyramids and some of them very extensive without an hieroglyphic to be seen within or without them and i observed that those which contain chambers with hieroglyphics are evidently of a later date than the former all this would seem to prove that till a certain period subsequent to the building of the pyramids hieroglyphics were not known but what can be said when i assure the reader that in one of these mausoleums which stands on the west of the first pyramid and which is so decayed that it has fallen in and is in a very ruinous state i saw and made others observe some hieroglyphics and figures reversed in one of the blocks which formed that mausoleum and the hieroglyphics so preserved within as if they were to be hidden from the view it certainly must be concluded that this stone had been employed in a building which was adorned with hieroglyphics and consequently proves that they were known previous to the erection of these mausoleums though they were without any of these ornaments or inscriptions this being the case it may be supposed that the people who built the pyramids were of the same way of thinking as those who built the mausoleums consequently nothing can be inferred respecting the age of the pyramids from the circumstance of their not having any hieroglyphics it has been supposed that the first pyramid or that of cheops was not coded i must agree in this opinion for there is not the slightest mark remaining of any coding as to the coding of the second pyramid i had an opportunity of investigating this subject in the excavation i made on the east side of it where i found the lower part as rough as any of the upper below the remaining coating which confirms the account of herodotus in this respect 
who says that the coating was begun from above and i believe myself that it never was quite finished to the bases for if it had i should have met with some below as the accumulation of rubbish over the bases would have kept the stones in their places or at least enough of them to show there was a coating as was the case in the third pyramid of which i shall have to speak presently it is supposed that the inundations of the nile surrounded the pyramids so that they remained like islands i cannot say that it was not so for the situation of the pyramids is like an island of rocks separated from those on the west only by a valley of sand which might naturally have been accumulated by the wind in the course of so many centuries i think we cannot have a stronger proof of this than the sphinx itself the basis of which is so much below the present surface that if all the sand around the pyramids were on a level with it i have no doubt the nile must have run around them which probably was the case in the early ages having thus finished my operation on the second pyramid i felt a great inclination to have a cursory view of the third i observed that some one had made an attempt to penetrate it by excavations on the east side i commenced my labours on the north side and after removing a great quantity of materials found a considerable accumulation of enormous blocks of granite which had evidently formed the coating proceeding yet lower as i cleared away the rubbish i found that part of the coating still remained in its place down to the bases the removal of these blocks would evidently have brought me to the entrance into the pyramid but it required more money and time than i could spare by this time the consul who was at thebes hearing of the opening of the pyramid wrote to me that he was coming down the nile and at the same time lord belmore and family arrived at cairo it is somewhat singular and i mention it with much satisfaction that his lordship arrived at thebes one month after my discovery of the celebrated tomb of Samethis, and was the first british traveller who entered it on his return from nubia he arrived at cairo a little more than a month after my opening the second pyramid and was the first british traveller who entered this also his lordship and family had been at thebes for some time and had accumulated no small collection of antiquities indeed i esteem it the largest ever made by any occasional traveller dr richardson had taken the opportunity of observing the ruins of ancient thebes at leisure and i believe by his minute remarks he must have made himself well acquainted with many interesting points not yet explained and i have no doubt this account will be highly interesting the earl and family set off for jerusalem by way of the desert and i prepared for my departure for thebes my old residence which i knew better than any other place in egypt a few days later the consul arrived and in half an hour after him colonel fitzclarence with dispatches from india for england the consul mr salt would have been kind enough to have paid all the expenses i had incurred in opening the pyramid but this i positively refused as i thought it would not be fair and right that he should pay for what he had nothing to do with i had the pleasure of accompanying the colonel on a visit to the pyramid as described by himself in his account of his journey from india to england through egypt 
he had suffered many hardships on his journey but did not appear fatigued in the least his short stay in cairo did not permit me to write a full account of my labours but at night i made a hasty sketch as well as i could and addressed it to the antiquarian society of london which he was kind enough to take to england for me mr salt the consul took the same opportunity of sending an official account of my operations in egypt and nubia to the ministers in england i suppose because he had no opportunity of sending any correct account before that time my next and principal object was to make a small collection on my own account and to take drawings of the tomb of samethis with impressions in wax of all the figures emblems and hieroglyphics the whole of which are in basso relievo noting the colours exactly as in the originals so as to enable me to erect a facsimile in any part of europe this project deserved my serious consideration not only in calculating the time that it would require to complete it but the expense i must incur however though i was only in cairo i did not want means of finding supplies for what i intended to execute and in a few days all was ready for my departure on my third voyage up the nile when having arranged my affairs with the consul i set off for my old habitation among the tombs of thebes end of the second journey end of part seventeen